And I get the feeling you've been cheated. The magic might have been inside of us all along. Are you serious? Yeah. I told you, Michelle, I love you. Hi folks, it's me Jack Barnell with the Social Yet Distance podcast. I'd like to welcome you and appreciate you coming by to spend a little time with us today. Recently spent a little time with Mike James, noted American poet. I talked a little bit about uh, the state of, of poetry and the, uh, here in the States and post-pandemic, as well as his current and past projects. So stay tuned. Look forward to sharing this com great conversation with you. That absolutely works, 100%. Dude, I am, I am like madly in love with your book. I, you know, I've seen Thank you around you. for a long, long time, and I've read your work. And, you know, obviously knowing Dorsey and, and seeing that you would work with him and things like that, you know, I, I just, I never paid. There's so many people out there and so much work. There is. I just never, you know, there's certain people I just didn't pay attention to. And I think that yeah. you were one of those people because I'm finding yeah. as I read this book, there's, and, and, you know, I hope we'll talk about this, but there's, besides the common factors and themes in my life that I'm seeing kind of laid out in your work, um, the way that you do it is extremely succinct to me. Um, because I'm pretty verbose. Um, I mean, I'll take over a conversation in a heartbeat, you know, and I'll use 20 words when I could use five. Um, so it's it's kind of weird. I, I, I kind of equate it to, and, and I apologize for not reading more, to be honest. No, 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 no. I, I, um, I, I appreciate but, the opportunity to chat. You know, what, what I see is every little bitty line, if if you leave it stand alone, it's pretty much a poem, <laughs> you know, and then. Well, thank you. And then you move like. It's like that detail is fully birthed and formed and lived. And then you move on to the next one. And that's just um, I don't. I don't know if it just feels unique to me or if it actually is, but we'll talk about that. And I just wanted to tell you that personally. Um, before Thank you very much. Jump, jump so much in, but I will say we're probably real similar in uh, being long-winded. I, I say that I use all my succinctness up in my poetry, and and uh, I use all my talkativeness in uh, in my life. So uh, now um, you're you're an educator as well, right? No, no, I work in business and, and, okay. and always have. I, I've got I, I've, I've lectured at some uh, at some colleges, which I'm, which is great. And I my, my background uh, was in uh, was set out that I was going to do one of two courses. I, uh, I was going to teach uh, college English or I was going to work on a political campaign and uh you know, because I've always I, I've always been interested in writing. I, I've been writing almost every day since I was fifteen. So I'm fifty now. So that's thirty five years. That's a right. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of trees. <laughs> um, but I, I've been in. Uh, I've always supported myself outside the academy. I work uh, work in the auto industry, and and always have. I've worked either in the car business or in 
the financial side of the car business. Uh, I get a little bit of grief uh, of that from uh, from some of my more bohemian friends, and then <laughs> I, I've had some slack from uh, some folks when I've been to you know uh, get-togethers and whatnot. I've had some academics tell me, "Well, you know, if you're really serious, you would teach." And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it, I, it's it's funny. I um, I have found that that so many people operate in silos. You know that. Yeah. Uh, as as open as as we pr- uh, tend to proclaim ourselves to be, uh, and uh, so many people uh, really uh, are, are going to step uh, step on a board and fall uh, when when they're confronted with anybody who's, who's any different. So, uh, well, you um, know, and my, th- your options were a little bit wiser than mine. I I my dad was a very at the time when I was young a very successful uh, defense attorney. Criminal huh? defense attorney, huh? big time criminals. And uh, huh? my choice at that point was to become a criminal attorney or a criminal. And I made the wrong choice and became sure. a criminal. Sure. But, you know, as my soul has shined and sparkled and gotten a little polish over the years, I'm actually more grateful that I chose the route that I did because it taught huh? me a lot more. And sure. I didn't have to sure. give up my soul in the process. So no, I I, I, I get that. I get that. The uh, I never understood why I drank so much, and it was because I was selling timeshare. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I, uh, I get that. I, uh, I I I do not drink out of a habit, but out of as a rule, I do. And uh, when when uh, friends make comments about my tolerance, I always tell them I'm a poet in the car business. So uh, <laughs> what do you expect? Yeah. And if there's Irish blood, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there is. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, I tend to add effects that are unnecessary, like, you know, strange transitions and stuff from me to yeah. you. It makes yeah. no sense. But that's yeah. all good. That's all good. <laughs> like I said, the uh, I always say that you can't gossip about me because I'll tell you anything that you that uh, you want to know. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Uh, but it, it would, would be kind of interesting to go, man, I, I don't remember saying that. I, I remember reading uh, when I read through Bukowski's letters and uh, the first volume uh, that they'd asked him about, hey, we're looking at gathering your letters. And he said, you know, it'd be interesting to know what I said. Uh, and uh, I, I, I kind of look at interviews the same way that, you know, I don't know how many times I've gone back and said, yeah, yeah that, that sounds pretty good. Or, damn, you sound like an ass. Uh, <laughs> well, the I get too in the book. Finally, I remember some of these times that really weren't as much fun as I remember. Uh-huh. It would be nice. I, I find myself really jealous of the current generation who records everything. Yeah. Because it would be really nice to just roll back the tape and actually see what happened. It would. I, I, <laughs> although the, a lot of the things that, that were not recorded, I was thankful were not recorded. So, uh, you know, that's... Uh, I actually, I, 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 I talked to some friends of mine who, I've, God's, I've known off and on for 30 years. And I, I said, do you remember this time when such and such happened? And they said, no, we really don't remember that. And I thought, well, I'm really glad nobody videotaped that because it was not a, it's not one of my finer moments. I was not listening to the better angels of my nature. So, uh, you know, sure. I'm, I'm glad for that. I, I understand that one completely. 
Um, some of the stories I tell people about things I've done, they just, they, they, they know I'm a writer and they say, you're lying, dude, you're making that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have, uh, I have the stories that I tell my friends, uh, which is all, all my writers, I group into that. And then, uh, the, the stories that, that I tell to people that I work with. And for the most part, they don't overlap. Uh, right. <laughs> in fact, my, my wife has even told me, uh, you don't, you don't tell that story at work. Not, no, I don't, I don't tell that story at work. That's not a work story. That is not a professional story. That is a, uh, that is a truth there of life. There are some places I don't uh, reweave the tale of how I convinced the drug dealer I was my twin brother, and yeah. I really didn't know him money. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> exactly. See, that, that's, a, that's a family and friends story. Yeah. It's not a... A professional. No one has a specific audience or should end up in a poetry book, as I'm sure exactly. probably will one day. Yeah, exactly. So that's, we're operating in the same space, Jack. That's exactly how. So, you know, you sent me your, your CV and it said more than I could possibly ever want to know. And that's not the case. But I will say the depth and breadth of your work is astounding to me. I mean, there's very few people I'm aware of you know, short of the S.A. Griffins or Dorsey or my my partner, Fran Locke, you know, who who has been um, as present out there, it seems, as you have. And I, I you know, and it, and it seems like you're not spanning a long period of time either. I mean, a decade or two. And um, I'm curious about that history and how, how that all came together and how you came to writing. I mean, I know you've been writing all your life, but how do you go from writing all your life and what's the content there and how does that end up in a list of books as long as your arm? You know, it's, uh, it, it's funny. I, I, I have been writing for forever. Uh, and, uh, and I'm in good company anytime somebody mentions me around my, my brother, John Dorsey. So, uh, who is, you know, as prolific as any five people put together and, uh, and also, uh, let me say this, um, there are plenty of people that crank out points and crank out a lot of, uh, the wonderful thing about John, which I would say to you or to anyone else. And I've said in print is the high quality of the work that he produces, mm-hmm. you know, that, that if you're reading, I've got a, a whole stack of books by him up here. And, and if you're reading, it's just the consistent level that he produces really fine poetry at. So let, let, let me say that. Um, yeah, I, I've been writing for a, a long time, and I will say I'm a different poet than I was when I started out, obviously, because I'm old, <laughs> but, but also than I was even a decade ago. Um, you know, I spent uh, I, I did a, a book with Main Street Rag about a decade ago uh, called Past Due Notices that was uh, uh, selected poems from the first 20 years. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's 1991 through 2011. And it's a, it's a decent sized book. It's 80, 90 pages, but it's just still kind of a, just a fraction of what I've written and what I've published. But the book was really, really helpful to me in this it kind of helped me shut a door. It kind of helped me say, okay, if I die today, this is what I've done. Um, now, what can I do? And I feel like up until then, I was kind of trying to to uh, fit my work into some 
one tradition that I was thinking about, you know, that I was, uh, that there were plenty of poets that I admired, you know, Raymond Carver and, uh, and James Dickey and Paul Blackburn and, and stuff like that. But I, I kept trying to think of, a, where am I at? You know, I mean, it, it's, right. it's, uh, it's like if you're a kid in the household, you know, and you're, you're the oldest, the youngest, you, you want to know where, where, where are you at in, in the world? And after that book came out, I quit caring. Um, and I quit trying to, uh, my work went, became immediately more autobiographical. And I kind of went down that, that rabbit hole and then became a lot less so. And I think um, I used to believe that, you know, we talk so much with poets about their voice and about, you know, how they sound and stuff. But the poets that I really love, the poets who, who mean a lot to me and the musicians that mean a lot to me are the ones who have voices and that do a lot of different things. And, you know, and, and I think about guys like Ted Berrigan or, or Robert Lowell or Eileen Miles uh, or, or the, who, who cover a lot of different space. Or, or you think about somebody like Miles Davis, okay? That, that the Miles Davis of Birth of the Cool and the Miles Davis of Bitches Brew and the Miles Davis of Tudu are like three completely different musicians. Right. And damn, that is interesting. You know, yeah, and, and, and there, I, I think a, a lot of, of people, and, and, and I, I was very guilty of this for the first 25 years I was writing, want to write this point, you know, and they want to do it really well. And, 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 they're, and that's fine. If, I'm, I'm really not throwing stones when I say that, but I mean, if you read early Richard Wilbur and you read Richard Wilbur right before he dies, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's this formal dexterity. It's these wonderful lines, but there's not a lot of difference. You know, if you read Billy Collins, who, who, let me say this, I am prepared to argue for or against Billy Collins any time of the day right. because the people that tell me they hate him can't write as well as he can. And the right. people that tell me that he's a genius need to read other people. Okay, right. <laughs> so, uh, but but like Billy Collins, his poems are amazing. Okay, but the, the Billy Collins of the '80s and of the 2020s is exactly the same Billy Collins. Uh, again, it's fine. I, I I like Billy Collins. You know, I uh, I like plenty of poets like that. But that's not who I want to be. I, I want to listen to voices, and I want to to follow. You know, there's a lot of things that I like to do. Uh, there's a, a book that I, I publish. You know, sometimes you publish them and the publisher gets behind it. Things are really good and people get notes. And I feel like, I kind of feel that way about the new one, Leftover Distances. Uh, I've told everybody I think it's probably the best thing I've done. Um, it's been selling okay. I, I've been getting some good comments from people, some reviews of it coming out. But there's a book I did a couple books ago called Parades. And it is a book-length erasure poem based on the uh, the first couple books of Paradise Lost. Mm. Now, when I was 20, when I was 30, hell, when I was 40, I would have thought, man, this was interesting. And I would have played with it, but I wouldn't have done anything with it. And I wouldn't have invested a lot of time right. in it. Because I would have said, well, the person that reads erasure poetry is not the person who's reading your, your uh, guzzles. It's not the person who's reading your syllabics. It's not the person who's reading your prose poems. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not. But so what? Um, good work is good work. Um, and it doesn't matter how it is. So 
I, I will tell you, that book came and went. Nobody noticed it. Uh, the couple people that, that liked it really, really liked it. But when I say a couple people, I mean that literally. Uh, the, uh, but damn, I'm so happy to have done that because it's so different than anything I ever would have thought to do when I was younger. And, uh, you know. You know, I, I, what occurs to me as I, I listen to you is that, you know, as a reader, I have options. If I want to read a blackout poem, I can. If I want to read any kind of poem in the world, I can. Mm -hmm. If I want to read them all one right after the other, I can do that yeah. as well. And, and so I have that flexibility. But as a writer, you know, I, I approach that completely differently. I mean, the bottom line is this. I have one particular story that I am for lack of a better way of explaining it, I, that I am trapped in, in my own life. And I tend to, and, and I started telling that tale as a form of, I, I hesitate to use the word therapy, but catharsis fits somewhat. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the poison blood that was attached to whatever that infection was got released and now I've been working on making the wounds look pretty. And I, yeah. and I can't get out of that. You know, it's come to the point where I feel like I am incredibly self-obsessed. All I ever write about is myself and woes me. Why, why, why? And, and, and the reception I receive back from friends and, and family is basically that same response. And, and so my point is, I see that there's a difference between a writer's choice and the reader's choice in becoming a victim or a valor because of that choice. Well, I, you know, I, let me say, Jack, I also think it's great to go down those rabbit holes. I, I think we should live by our obsessions, you know, and I think the hardest thing I ever did in my writing life, which I separate, you know, from other things, was being willing to go down all those rabbit holes. You know, that there, there are so many things that for so long I said, you know what, I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to explore this. Um, and now um, I make myself do that. Um, it, it's funny. I love Bob Dylan. Happy 80th birthday, Mr. Zimmerman. You know, so uh, I uh, I love Dylan, and let me say, you know, Dylan's a genius, all that. Some of his some of the stuff he does, says is profound. Some of it's horseshit. Uh, mm -hmm. But one of the comments that, that he makes is that you know, life is not about finding your it's not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And you know what? I think that should be hung above a baby's crib. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is exactly how we should should view our life. Dylan's made a comment with one of his albums. He said that he wanted to make a spiritual album, but he didn't have the energy to go to that place. And th this was a comment he made 15, 20 years ago. And I remember thinking, what, what does that mean? And I think it's the, the energy that we hold to face demons. When he was talking about spiritual, the, the spiritual place, I, I think he meant 
you know, looking into that abyss and being able to stare at it. And I think that's one of the hardest things. And that is, uh, that's maybe something that a, a lot of people think is easy, but it's hard and I don't think it gets any easier as we get older, you know? Uh, so anyway. The Social Yet Distance is sponsored by the Emotional Orphan in the form of production support. We hope that you'll continue to help us grow the show through the purchase of merchandise at Redbubble or some books or broadsides at Gum Road. You can find links on our anchor page and on all our social media. Thanks. It's funny because I feel somewhat limited as well because, you know, I did not take advantage of the educational opportunities that were presented to me in the state of Georgia youthful offender camp. But, um, you know, so I, I don't walk into this with some breadth of knowledge from an academic standpoint. I have a lot of theories about the shit way things are taught, mm -hmm. um, but I have no real understanding, no formal training, uh, you know, given two pieces of paper, I would, I may not know a triplet from a, you know, a bicuspid, sure. and, um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean shit to me, you know, that crawling in the rabbit hole is absolutely easy. Mm -hmm. Staying in it is easy. And for me, getting getting what's down there out now that the poison is gone is the hard part because I'm trapped in the hole and sure. I don't know how yeah. to get out. And I mean, I mean that like metaphorically, no. but not so much, you know. No, I, I, let, let me tell you, um, it, it's comfortable to be passed out in the gutter. Mm -hmm. uh, if, 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 you've, if you've done it more than once. Um, th there's a certain comfort in being able to roll around in, in that right. ditch. And because uh, you, you know what's on both sides, you know what's up above. Uh, so I, I get it. I understand that 1,000%. One, 1, um, I think it takes some courage to go down in the rabbit hole, but it takes just as much courage to come back. Absolutely. You know, uh, you're not just dropping, dropping the bucket down in the well, but you're pulling things back up. So, yeah. I, 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 Only I you, you've chosen to throw yourself in the hole to do it. <laughs> so so I, I'll, I'll tell you what, since I use some, some river imagery, let me, uh, let's go to the river. Let, let me go to the river. Uh, and I, I'm going to read the, the, uh, first poem in the book called, uh, drunk butterflies near the Missouri river. And it is, uh, it's dedicated to my brother, poet, Jason Ryberg. Um, and uh, I've got a quote from, uh, you know, I'll tell you the story and then I'll restart the poem. So uh, a friend of mine asked me if I knew this poet, John Thompson. And I actually, like, I misheard him, okay? <laughs> and he said another poet, but I heard John Thompson. And he's somebody who, uh, Joe, uh, Michael Joseph Archangeli, yeah, wonderful yeah. guy, great poet. Joe and I are real good friends. We talk almost every day. Um, but we have very similar tastes. So, you know, you have the guys who, like, you trust their opinion. And when they tell you something, you look it up. And then the guys that go, man, thanks. And you never think anything about it. Right. So Joe is in that first camp. So he reckon, But I heard him wrong. So 
I looked up John Thompson. Well, it was the best thing that happened to me from a reader's standpoint last year because John Thompson is this great uh, Canadian poet who's been dead since the 70s, killed himself. Uh, but he wrote this one great book, Stilt Jack. So I came upon his work by accident, looking up for, for somebody having misheard. And I, I, I came upon John Thompson's work and got his, the Stilt Jack and loved it. And I've read that book like a hundred times now. And I got his collected poems and read through it. And they're just not as good as the, the last book. But anyway, um, I say all that because I've got a quote there. And if you, if you haven't, I'm going to tell anybody who listens to this, uh, obviously, I want you to buy my book. That's number one. <laughs> number two, I want you to get Stilt Jack by the great late Canadian poet, John Thompson. It is as good as any book of poetry you will ever read in your life if you live a long life and read every day. So that is uh, as absolute of a statement as I will ever make about any book. So anyway. Well, you, you uh, talk about people that, you, you know, you, they tell you something, you don't even bother to look it up. You just take it as gospel. As you yeah. were telling that story, I'm writing down the name of the book and John Thompson's name, yeah. you know, so I, you're, you're uh, you know, guys, buddy. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, I, I've got a couple of friends that have bought it. And um, my, my friend, Rusty Barnes of Massachusetts, I know Rusty. he got Oh, Rusty's great. He read the book and he said, got stilt jack. God damn. <laughs> that, that, was his, that was his feedback on it. So uh, it was follow up, which was all praise. But he, he thanked. So you, you will not be disappointed. But I'll, I'll be read the poem now. OK. It's called uh, Drunk Butterflies Near the Missouri River. And uh, I've got a quote at the top from uh, the great John Thompson. And the quote is nothing but your blind, stupefied heart. Lord, even without belief, today is enough. A little chant I say to myself, structured right, it is a hymn. Not even I like to hear my singing. Yesterday, I almost got lost going home. I wasn't following the advice of every teacher. Pay attention. I go through school, got home. I drive when I'm lonely. Take a lot of back dirt roads. Never found a collapsed bridge in any river. My luck. That's what keeps me driving. It's August. Heat takes up everything. I think of weather. Think of rain. Nothing changes. It's still August, with or without the river. I've always lived beside a river. Never once hopped across on rocks. I distrust currents. Don't like darkness moving fast or slow. We'll walk a long way to take a good bridge. I've heard every cliche about home is true. I'll say that, smile stupidly. I don't always watch how hard the wind blows. I keep going, I go. Good stuff, brother. I really, really like that piece. I um, I made some notes when I was reading the the, the beginning pages of that book, and 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 I was curious how it would sound coming through in your voice. And I would tell you that it's actually 
pretty darn close other than the fact I didn't know what your voice sounded like. It's pretty know. southern. <laughs> well, I'm thinking like, you know, the 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 tonation, the the cadence, you know, all that technical bullshit I don't even understand. But um it, it, it's like there's a seeker there and you find something and you're you kind of reach some resolution before you move on to the next piece, but you're still kind of skeptical, like of what the answer was that you were seeking. You're, you're a seeker, you get the answer and you move on to the next thing. But at the same time, you're still taking a lingering thought of like, well, wait a minute, is that really how I feel about it? But you don't have time, you just kind of keep moving through it's uh i know that sounds rather strange but it's, it's kind of a feeling that i made a note of as i was reading that it kind of feels like you're welcoming through your own internal um dialogue in your head as you kind of learn to accept each little sentence it's weird it's weird for no, no, it that no that, that that's that's really good feedback i i, I appreciate that jack that does uh that's probably uh as close to to what i want to do as a as a reader as as uh, anybody will say i i, I always want to take I, I want to to take the reader with me on whatever journey i'm taking well and, and there's something purposeful about it and that whatever that is you know i am you know i was convinced just in reading it that that's kind of the person you are, you know, um, that that's kind of the way you talk and that's your thought process is that, you know, your internal dialogue, I, it feels to me like your internal dialogue is being revealed on the page and that it goes at that rhythm. And that's the process. It's like you hit the stop gap, but, and you take whatever the result is with you to the next thing, but we're always still kind of wary of, well, wait a minute, did that truth I just learned, is that really truth? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's really interesting because I, uh, um... the, the poem, um, Temporary Keys really kicked that thought into overdrive for me. What, 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 let me find that then. The uh, um, I was going to say. I, here we go. This is a a, a little litany. Uh, it's temporary keys. What if every house key only worked for a little while? What if one day each of us was locked out? What if we always carried a down jacket for any cold night it happened? What if our jacket became a blanket, then a pillow? What if our jacket sleeves were colorful, substitute wings? Yeah, that, that poem is just amazing to me. And it's, you know, the answer I was speaking of, it doesn't even show itself there. You just know it's there. To me, I mean, from line to line, that's the way I hear it. Well, you know, I uh, I think a lot of times 
poetry is all about just asking the questions. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think poets are any smarter than uh, uh, than anybody else. Uh, I don't think poets know any more than any, anybody else. But I do think the the two things that, that poetry can do for anybody is number one, we're we're verbal creatures. You know, there's just a an oral joy in hearing words put together well, and and that that is whether you're listening to the speeches of Lincoln and Churchill or you're, you know, you're listening to a, a, a great passage from Hemingway or you're, or somebody is reading Shakespeare, there's just something about the language, you know, um, that, that, that's one thing. But the other thing is what does it do to get us going in another direction? You know, um, the dullest poetry for me, the dullest writing for me is the, is the stuff which is, really prescriptive that if we do do x we get y who cares you know I'm, I'm, poetry is not a self-help manual it's not um it's not something that's going to tell me how to live my life better but it is something that's going to rip my chest open right and 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 tell me if, if my heart's still there or not um and uh so i, I appreciate you saying that because i uh i want to I want to suggest things more than I want to tell them. Uh, I, as I've gotten older, I have trusted the, my reader much more than I used to. That I used to think, and I think I think this goes with being young or being young and stupid or just not knowing or whatever. You know, we think we'll really have to lay it out. This is hard. This is something we really have to put down there. But as we get older, we figure out most people are smarter than us. You know, most people have figured things out before we have. And uh, maybe we trust that more. So, uh, right. Uh, well, and it, and I think that is the power of a poet or poetry is that, you know, that position or that view is one that you're taking. And, you know, I'm very aware that I would just as soon lead you down a path that gets you just off balance enough that I can knock you silly with the last line, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so that motive is completely different. And I understand that motive and I understand where it comes from. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a pattern that I haven't broken at this point. Mm -hmm. And I, my toolkit hasn't developed to the point where I can just pick the tool that I need for any particular job. I'm still kind of sharpening yeah. and learning. And if it works too, it works, you know, uh, it, it, it's funny. I, I think we, uh, I think we work to write the poems that we really want to read, you know, uh, and I think, um, a lot of the things that we look at, at maybe getting away from are things that are maybe just boring us. You know, um, you know, but it, it, it's, it's, I used to, I used to say this and somebody called me on it and I, I quit saying, it. But, but I'm going to say it now. So maybe I'm back saying, it. but somebody said uh, how they would like to write, you know, like when, they, when they were talking, I'd like to write like, like this or like that. And, uh, and it, it, it was, it was somebody that I was like really familiar with their work. And they said, what, what do you think about that? And I said, well, and I said, you know, I guess if I was going to pick someone to sound like, like if I could 
And I said, I would maybe pick somebody like Gerard Manley Hopkins or Dylan Thomas or somebody that was like really grand and rhetorical and, and all this. And I said, that's, that's, and I said, but I don't know that that's to my ear that I, that I can sound that way. And a friend of mine called me on and said, that's not true. And I said, okay, why is it not true? Because I, I was, I was getting my dander up a little bit, my Irish up, because I was thinking, well, how do you know what I'm thinking? But he said, you know, you, uh, you say that. And he said, it's a good line. It's a good thing to say. And he said, but um, you've read Hopkins and you've read Thomas. And he said, I, I don't doubt that. And he said, we can discuss them. But you don't go back to them the way you do these other people. That He said, Mike, I've known you for 20 years. And you don't go back and reference those two people. He said, you only reference them in this one anecdote you tell. <laughs> uh, and he said, so I just think that's just kind of, that's you dodging something. And I said, you know, you're probably right um, that those poets represent what the guy walking down the street would tell you. Dylan Thomas sounds like a poet. You right. know, you can quote, do not go gentle on that good night in a movie. And people go, oh, that's the point. OK, right. You can quote Bukowski. You can quote William Carlos Williams. You can quote Raymond Carver. They may like it, okay? They may it may speak to them, but that's not what they heard from their grandma, right. okay? That's not what the that's not the, the what what they grew up thinking poetry was. No so, roses, red or blue. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, and and uh, you know, no great voice speaking. You know, so uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's um, back and forth between drinks here. If you're wondering why I've got two bottles going on. So. Oh, listen, <laughs> I'm not even going to show you what I've got over here. I have, smoothie, I have protein drink, I have water and leftover coffee. So, oh, OK. Well, I've got uh, I've got crown and I've got water. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you can have my part of the crown for today. OK. All right. Very good. <laughs> Today's public service announcement. Don't be a lame flame. It's been done already. And speaking of Los Angeles traditions, the Social Yet Distance podcast is lovingly supported by Punk Hostage Press. Punk rock sentiments in words. We send a happy nine-year anniversary to Punk Hostage Press, its founders, editors, and all the authors. We'd like to thank you for walking us through our transition from Van Halen to X by way of the Go-Go's. Fueled by a flurry of recent releases from 2020 into 2021, Punk Hostage Press has used three recent releases to lead the forefront. Dan Denton has released his $100 a week motel, Nadia Bruce Rawlings, Driving in the Rain, and hopefully Nadia will be here with us soon. And then A-Razor's long-awaited Puro Purismo. Come visit punkhostagepress.com for access to a library of work from the finest small press writers ever. Punkhostagepress.com in the future what do you got going on i mean i know that this book tell me about how this book is doing for you and what the response has been and where we can get it and what okay you so, 
so the, the, the book's doing pretty well. Um, it's been out for uh, two months. So it came out in time for National Poetry Month, so, so April and May. Um, of course, you can get it on the behemoth of Amazon. You can get it from Barnes & Noble. You can get it from Target. Um, the, the press, Luchador Press, which is a division of Spartan Press, uh, um, does not have a direct order system, unfortunately. So uh, I wish they did, but it's, they're just not set up for it. So uh, it's something that, that everybody can get you know, online. Uh, it's, it's, it's very accessible. Book is doing okay, pretty well. I don't, I have uh, generally low expectations for sales and generally my expectations are met. Uh, but um, the, the readers that I'm very thankful to have, I've heard from and, and they've all been very, very positive and for the most part agree uh, in, in my thoughts about this being different from a lot of my other work. Um, so my plan for the year, um, I write a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, I seriously do write every day. Um, and everybody always questions me on that. And, and, I, I, and I, I tell them, you know, everybody thinks that's amazing. You go to the gym every day, you know, not, but, but people go to the gym every day. Uh, people walk every day. So this is just one of the things I started doing a long time ago that I said, this is what I have to do. And when I say every day, it ends up being five or six days a week. It's always aspirational that, you know, you need to be blocking out your hour a day. Um, so the, uh, two books this year, uh, John Dorsey and I had a chat book out. Right. Very beginning of the, of the year with Analog Submissions Press out of England. Uh, that's sold out now, I believe. It's called Double Feature. You know, he sent me one of those, and I've got it somewhere, and I got started looking for it yesterday, and I, I can't find it. So I, it's crazy. I have to dig it out. Yeah. I don't, yeah. So that, that must be in a book bag somewhere. I was yeah. dragging it around with me. That's why I can't find it. Yeah. So so that that's come out uh, beginning of the year. My, my commitment to myself is to publish nothing else for the rest of the year and spend this year promoting because I'm it's earlier in the year. Um, the publisher sent out a decent number of review copies. Their publisher is very happy with it. Um, I'm, I'm going to do uh, some weekly postings of online readings, which I've gotten some good feedback on. Um, I am sitting on a lot of work. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm thankful for that. I've got a... Uh, I've got a book of erasures, which uh, I send some of the work out periodically, but it's it's done. Um, I've got a uh, book of cut-ups uh, that I'm sitting on. Um, I've got a, uh, a another book that I just have. I've got actually two other books of new work that I'm just sitting on. And then I've got a selected that uh, I would like to get out because I, I've been publishing for you know, in magazines for 30 years now, mm. which is a, you know, it's, 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 a, here, here's something that's funny. Um, sometimes I'll get a selected poem and I'll look at it and I go, man, this guy, this is a lot of work from the guy. And then, and then I'll do the math and I'll think, I've been doing it this long. Uh, so, you know, or, or I'll, you know, I'll, I had a, a poet reach out to me a little while back and said, you know, it's great to, to meet with, uh, uh, an older poet like yourself and part of me was like kiss my ass you know uh <laughs> you know who, who are you 
but <laughs> but he's 25. You know, he's he's right. young enough to be my kid, and right. so I I am uh, the age that I thought older poets were when I started writing. So uh, so I've got a lot of stuff I'm sitting on, but I'm going to sit on because I'm I'm very. I'm very excited about this book. Uh, I'm very excited about the production quality, the size. It, it does everything that I, that I want a book to do uh, right. in terms of what I can do right now. I, I, you know, I think that, um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, because, you know, this podcast, the Social Yet Distance podcast is part of a bigger, you know, group. Mm -hmm. And the idea that underlies it, it all is something that I've been kind of thinking about for a number of years. And that's, you know, if, if Mike James puts out a new book, then, you know, we've got this circle of people um, within Facebook or wherever. And then the individual writer has their circle of people that they would include in book sales. Mm -hmm. And we pretty much sell books to ourselves or to people that we know. Yep. And the rest of the world has no idea that we even exist. And yep. I think that that's a major flaw. I think yep. that we shoot ourselves in the foot by not promoting ourselves, by not using other technologies that we haven't adapted so much yet, yep. or because we think we're too cool to, you know, do anything other than paper or whatever. I just think that there's a lot of other opportunities and if you believe in spreading the gospel of poetry and the words and art, then the rest of the world who hasn't that had that exposure that we get on a daily basis, they freaking deserve to see it too. Oh, absolutely. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. And so I, I, you know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that type of approach and, and how you would see that benefit an author. So um, let, let me say, I am not a good uh, self-promoter. I wish that I was better. Um, I think it's twofold. I think part of it is just my nature. I think part of it is, you know, I work in business. Um, and my business self is a different self in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It requires me to be very hard charging. It re requires me to ask for uh, for that cell for to, to, to work in a in a very linear analytical way right um, and it requires a different mask uh, mm -hmm. and my poetry self is my I'll say my truer self um, but it's a different self and it is uh, not something that I really really try to, to put by the book don't buy the book you know, um, obviously, I would prefer that you buy the book, um, but it's also one of those things that um, I would prefer people do a lot of things. You know, uh, here's the I, thing, I, Mike. Know, I, so, you know, my thing is that that I, I mean, I, I am one hundred percent what you're describing. I, I come from a sales background i worked in business yep. you know startup businesses i was yep. an addiction counselor for years 
And I, you know, I became an addiction counselor because I took my sales skills and said, okay, what are these skills and where can I apply them now that I don't, you know, want to smoke crack all the time, yep. you know? So I've used that set of skills, but in my daily day life now, I have to bounce so much between my left and right brain between doing business over here and taking care of that, that some days my creative side gets put to rest. And some days my business side gets put to rest. And sometimes because of my health, they all get put to rest. You know, it's drawn that balance for me that's really difficult. And quite frankly, as as a writer, I, I kind of feel like I really shouldn't have to do that. I should be able to sit down and write and do what I do and do what I excel at and thrive at. And somebody else can sell it if that's what they're going to do. Sure. Sure. But then I get trapped in this system or this mindset like what you're describing of, oh, well, if I sell it, I do. And if I don't, I don't. I don't care. Well, you know what? If somebody bought 100,000 copies of your book, you would care. Oh, no, absolutely. And- and, and, you know, I, I'll tell you, we, we were talking about John Dorsey uh, a, a little while back. And John made a great comment to me several years ago. And he said, he said, I write enough. And he was talking about himself, not, not me. Right, sure. Uh, yeah. But he said, I write enough. And he said, every book, I want to sell 100 copies. Right. And I said, okay, why? And he said, because if you have 100 copies in the world, he said, number one, you have 100 copies in the world. And he said, but if you're always producing new work, um, there's some overlap, Mm -hmm. but it's not complete overlap. And he said, so even if it's just 50% overlap, if every time there's 50% overlap, then eventually your leadership is in the thousands. Sure it is. Um, And 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 that that was a very interesting idea. So I had to say, the same goal. I want to make sure, number one, I never want the publisher to lose any money. Okay, so that's uh, because I, I, I that that's my commitment that I'm going to promote enough that they at least break even. Sure. Okay. So, uh, but also, if you just have that that hundred out there, and you keep moving, then you get some some perpetual motion uh, out of it, and. Um, so, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, I do the, these videos, which, which go up, I'm on Facebook. I do as much readings as I'm able to do. Right. Um, I am not on Twitter because there's so much negativity on Twitter. Right. Uh, and because I don't know anyone who actually thinks they've sold books from being on Twitter. Um, and I never want to read a comment where someone starts a sentence with, I'm not familiar with this and haven't read it, but stop. stop. Right. Uh, it's the same as I'm not a doctor. Stop. I'm not a lawyer. Stop. Right. Uh, any sentence that starts that way, you need to suppress. <laughs> um, you know, because Samuel Johnson said, there is no harm in thinking like a fool. Right. However, it is also up. It is up to us if we speak like a fool, because we can stop. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, so I, I completely get that. A lot of times we're, you know, we're selling to ourselves. 
You know, I got a, a message from a friend during the night. She got a new book out. It's great. I'm going to order it. Sure. I've got all of his other books. Okay. He is a fine poet, good guy. Um, but I also wish a lot of people bought his books. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, I wish everybody listened to uh, Girl in Red. And I wish everybody listened to Hank Williams. Okay. Uh, senior. Uh, but, but they don't. So uh, I wish everybody ate a country ham, but they don't. So it, it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of that. Uh, I, 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 I read one time that, you know, we get caught up on how small our audience is. And they said, if you look at the audience of ballet in 1900 and the audience of ballet in 2000, it's about the same audience. If you look at the, ballot, at the audience of classical music in 1960 and the audience of classical music in 2020, it's about the same audience. Ballet, classical music, they're not going away. You know, poetry's not going away. You know, so, um, yeah. I, I, and and, and maybe, maybe I'm dodging your question, Jack, and you can redirect me. No, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't I, think I, you're I dodging the question at all. Was, you're, you're, yeah. you're actually answering it quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, I... You know, I think it's an opinion question. So, yeah. Uh, I, let me be clear. I would like everybody and their mother to buy my books. I right. wish I outsold Billy Collins. I wish I outsold uh, Amanda Gorman and Maya Angelou and everybody else. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that's the case, you know, where it was going to be the case. Um, well, and, and, you know, the days are long gone, and it's never been so true with poetry as much um, as some, but, you know, publishers aren't, aren't in a position to promote the way they used to. There are no, right. you know, paid for book tours or, you know, uh, no, you know I, uh, shows on the, on the Carson, you know, bookings on the Carson show or anything. Now, I, I recently read a, uh, a biography of John Berryman, and Berryman died 72, yeah. 71, 72. Um, his royalties in the last year of his life, approximately 50 years ago, from poetry alone, because you got to remember, at the time he had published a biography, uh, okay, but like everything else was, which was not a bestseller. Right. But for poetry, was $27,000 a year in the early 70s from people buying his books of poetry. And here's the other side to it. Robert Lowell and Allen Ginsberg were more popular poets. They made more money in their own. So they, Lowell and Ginsberg were making $30,000 a year in poetry royalties at a time when that was, you know, double it. Okay, double it, triple it, whatever. Um, so th th there, there is some slide in, in terms of, of you know, the literacy and all that. But it's also one of those things that, that I can read that I can be amazed. But I can also say it doesn't matter. You know, if, if you told me that I would never, um, you know, make a dime from my poetry or uh, I'd still write it. I'd still buy books every week. You know, I would still be thankful for all my friendships. So I still think about it all the time. 
money aside, do you feel like whatever an audience might be, do you feel like that audience is somewhat deprived because they don't have re you know ready access or even knowledge that your work exists? Um, I mean, yeah, if everybody knew, you'd make more money, of course, but that's not your goal anyway. You know, that, that would be nice to think, but, you know, it's funny. If you're a famous poet in the U.S., it doesn't mean you're famous. Right. Okay. If, if, if you're a famous rock star, you're famous. Kanye West is famous. Bruce Springsteen is famous. Um, but if I think of someone like, like, okay, one of my favorite all-time poets, W.S. Merwin. Merwin won every prize outside of the Nobel. Okay, he was beloved. His book sold well. Um, he was never recognized anywhere. You know, Ashbery was never recognized anywhere. So yeah, even poets like who sell well, they're in the thousands, okay, um, in terms of, you of know, what again, though, I think, I think, Mike, you're talking about something different, though, than what I mean. You're talking about okay. fame and being recognized, and I'm, I, you know, I feel like what I was really asking about was the fame that comes, that that is the attribution credited for the work itself, you know, where, how easy is it to get the general public to read and understand how valuable this stuff really is? Because I feel like most of them don't even know. And that's a function of the education system. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if half the population doesn't read a book the full year um, and poetry is, a, is, you know, 3% of the reading population, you know, just make up a number, then obviously you're, 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 your mar your uh, audience is going to be really really small, right. um, but I, I also think, you know, it. Uh, you're talking to who your audience is, you know. I'm uh, I'm not talking to the guy who who doesn't like poetry. I'm talking to you, right? Okay, I'm I'm, I'm talking to, you know, the person who's actually going to read the book, or, or buy the book, or not buy the book because they don't like what they've heard or, or the extra that they read, which is fine too, you know? So, um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't, um, the world is so full of people that aren't going to be interested that I don't spend any time with, you know, uh, John told me a long time ago, he said, you know, you can spend, you can either focus your, your energies on the, the people that you want to be with or the people that want to be with you. Right. And, 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 and I think, I think that's such a profound thing. I mean, cause it works for your life. Okay. But like from an art standpoint, from an artistic standpoint, you know, are you going to spend all of your time trying to be in the MFA crowd? Or are you going to spend all of your time getting into American poetry review, which is, let me say a great magazine. Right. Okay. Sure. I'm not knocking. But what I'm saying is, is if success is only being able to associate with a hundred people, what are you closing your life off to? Okay, when you have so many other people, and especially for some, if you're somebody who likes to move around, 
that if you happen to, to occupy a lot of different spaces, mm-hmm. you know, what does that mean? You know, um, you know, if, if you like some people that would be called academics and some people that would be called slam or performance or people that would be in that in the avant-garde or people that are like in, in the, the blue collar, you know, group, then it, you should be able to like cover all those. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm just uh, holding court, and I, and I don't like to do that. No, uh, that, that's not that, that's not the case at all. I'm genuinely interested, and I'm sure the audience is interested in in your answer to that because uh, it's it's a uh, it, it's of importance to those of us that either try to write or uh, you know enjoy the writing that we try to do. So. Um, I think it's important. And I think that, you know, I, I believe that we're undergoing a major shift in a lot of areas. And I think that, you know, this particular art is one of those things. And, you know, everybody's opinion is important to me. And that's kind of what I do for a living is share that opinion. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's uh, admirable. And, you know, I have like, I have a lot of very, um, not always well accepted opinions about digital books, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I, I think that, you know, and I use John as an example just because he's the most prolific person, but I've also had this discussion with him and understand his side of the, the, the page on this. And I won't clarify for him. I'll let him do that. But, you know, my feeling is if, if, I'm a John Dorsey and I've got a, a box full of books sitting in my basement that I haven't sold yet. Then um, one way for me to do that would be perhaps through a, an alternative route um, of sales. Mm-hmm. For example, the books, the bookshop at, at um, social yet distance or Let's say I've got a book that I sold really well 20 years ago and everybody wants it, but they can't get it because we're not going to reissue it. However, we will do a special limited run, you know, e-version for, yeah. a, small, for a small piece. And then you go yeah. and you make five bucks off a book that you, or, you know, a couple of bucks off a book that you never would have ever sold sure. and that somebody would have been, just left out of the game if they really wanted to read that book. Yep. 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 You know, I think that there's ways that we can use our business savvy to promote the artist. And if we need to tweak the audience and we need to tweak the product, then that's what the business people of the business minded part of us can do. And the, the writer people, the craft people can go and do their thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of my vision of how it all works. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I've had, um, I had a book out in a few years back, Crows in the Jukebox, that uh, Bottom Dog Press published. And let, let me say, Larry Smith, wonderful writer and probably the most enjoyable editor I've ever worked with. Uh, in terms of, th- there are still weeks when I miss the back and forth of putting that book together <laughs> with, with Larry, but because he was such a good reader of my work. Uh, it, it's great to have an editor who will tell you, um, 
I don't think these poems are your strongest. And these other poems, damn, you know, uh, and, and, and who you know fully supports you and wants to make the best possible work. But there's an e-version of that book, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to have because while I do not own the Kindle, I do not own a Nook and hope to die in that state of grace, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office uh, that, that I write in and there's 4,000 books in here. And, and, and that might be a low number, um, but I'm a tactile person. I like paper. I like to feel things. Uh, I can, I can show you it is my desk, and uh, uh, I, and I like that. But um, that's part of their business model at bottom ball to 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 do e-releases because there are some people that just want to do download, and they have it, right. and and I'm respectful of that. Um, so I, I do think there's some opportunity. Um, I. I, I it is uh, not something I'm going to say that I even understand because I'm such a different reader right. of things in paper than I I scan online. And I'll even say in, in online poetry journals, if the poem is is too long, um, you know, more than 30 lines or so, I'm probably going to skip it because I know that I'm not as attentive of a reader online uh, right. or in an e-version as I am if I'm, I'm holding it. Uh, if it, And if I'm holding it, I'll, I'll, I'll read a book link form and, and do it happily. So, um, so I, I, Jack, I think you're asking some really good questions in terms of, you know, how do we not just make the work, but make the work available? Um, I try to do about a 50-50 split between print journals and e-journals. Um, simply because I know if somebody's thinking about my work, they'll probably Google me. Yeah. Um, in the same way that if somebody, if I'll do the same thing for other people. Uh, and I've ordered so many books because I've Googled someone and found their work. So, I, and, and it's funny, that's really evolved for me, but I would send out, I was wary about sending out work online. And then I would send out the work that I wasn't, I was happy with it, but I knew it wasn't my best work. It was the B work, okay, right. that we all do. But now um, I don't separate any of that. Um, oh, yeah, there was know, a period of time where everybody swore they, they that Facebook actually owned the copyright, and if you were publishing your poems on yeah. Facebook, you were an yeah. idiot because they were going to steal all your poems and yeah. publish yeah. these big Facebook poetry books, you yeah. know, just crazy. Which would sell stuff. really well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, so, they got too much world domination to worry about. They ain't, they ain't worried about the poets. <laughs> no, not, not, not a bit, not a bit. So, I, I, I will tell you as, as a follow-up, though, I, I wanted to read a poem because, you know, you talked about um, one of the poems that you thought sounded the way I ex that you expected it to sound from me. And I've got a lot of prose poems in this book, and, and I started writing prose poems because I, uh, I don't really consider myself a very autobiographical poet and that I, I will make things up. You know, I will, <laughs> I will add things. Uh, and, and after a reading, somebody came up to me and they said, oh, that's awful about your mom. And I, I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. And then I realized that the, one of the poems I'd referenced 
mother, but that that had nothing to do with me. But it would, right. generally, when people see prose poems, they assume that uh, they're made up. Right. So, uh, or I thought that, but I've had so many people come up to me and go, you know, do you really like do a lot of mud wrestling? No, no, I don't. I really not don't. much, not so much not, anymore. Not, yeah, yeah, but but it was big for me for a while, and mainly when I was wearing that tutu. So yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, but you know, talking about the voices, this is maybe a little different voice. Uh, it's one of the prose poems, and it's called "Flags Forever at Half Mast." This is the country you heard rumors about, where quiet weeping is the only sound on the radio. And happiness is always past tense. Where every decoration includes bullet holes and graffiti. And where birds fly backwards to attempt time travel. Where angels got lost and give up trying. And suicide prevention is in the school's core curriculum. Where memory lasts longer than anyone wants. Where the sky is a blood orange no one can drink, or a cuckoo clock in each house reminds all citizens when it is time to scream. So I wanted to, I wanted to read that because, I, and maybe this is just me and something that gets me going to write. I tend to think that I'm a different poet when I'm writing prose poems than when I'm writing other kinds of poems. I think that about the, my, how, my how ratio. How describe that difference? Uh, I have thoughts about that as well. Um, I, I, I think I'm probably a little bit more surreal in my prose poetry. I think my, I'm uh, more willing to make jokes. Uh, I think my imagination tends to uh, go off in more directions. Um, I love all kinds of poetry, but it's it's much more tied to my breath and right. much more tied to uh, the, the the image. Um, and I feel like my prose poems are all based on a sense of play. Right. You know that there's a. Uh, that there's a different world that I'm occupying. Um, so, again, this could be my own perception. Uh, well, I, I think it is your perception. And, and you know, where the way I would answer that question is I feel like prose for me is much more on an equal playing field to uh, storytelling. Uh -huh. um, and then if I'm going to compare that next to poetry, I would say that, you know, Poetry is more about finding the right metaphor for me to describe that same piece of prose mm -hmm. and then wrapping it up with some flowery words and maybe some sort of thoughtful in its um, in its uh, placement and cadence and whatever. A little bit more of a um, cut and paste kind of attitude as opposed to just a free-flowing story. Sure, sure. Understood. Understood. So... Uh but I, I wanted to offer that one because we were we were talking about voices and uh, but earlier and, and and I think that is maybe represents a, a different voice for me. I, I definitely agree with that. And I'm getting some um, 
warnings on this end that we've got an unstable connection somewhere. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. I want you to do the slam dunk, close us out poem, and then we'll play it by ear. If we can okay. close it out, we will. If not, we'll keep shooting the breeze. Okay, so I'm going to, I'll read this one. Um, it's one of the few, uh, few love poems in the book, and it's called So This Happens. If I believed in sunrises as a cure for all late nights, disagreements I'd wake you early and call you to an east window the two of us have almost outlived belief Rumi started out offering knowledge to any stranger in his path he ended offering blessings is that how we change between morning and night one of the things I like about you it's how you make halos seem like an affectation of angels and rock stars. Mm -hmm. Your best friend says your eyes are blue. I always thought they were harvest green, the color of my favorite flea market bought t-shirt. Some people don't like to get dirty. Others swan dive in any trash bin. You are in the middle register. One note either way. I do everything quickly, even rush my love and anger. You take your time, set up house. I look over every fence, make up stories as I pass. After all these years, we ask the same questions again and again. An old test answered in pencil. We ask, which blank do you fill in? Man, Mike, I tell you, um, that that piece right there, I when I I scanned some in the front, I scanned some in the back, and I landed on that piece, and that's where I stopped. That that poem kind of knocked me to my knees. I really, really, really like that piece. And the Thank line, you. the two of us have almost outlived belief, um, I highlighted immediately as soon as I read it. So thank you for that beautiful uh description of my life <laughs> well, thank thank you yeah we're uh you know when in, in relationships you go into them with an idea and if you're able to stay in them long enough and you're lucky enough those ideas fall away and then uh all you have is what is and uh if there's any wisdom in getting older i think it's the fact that we we celebrate the uh, the actual over the metaphorical you know that the uh, the romance is in the mundane it's not in the extraordinary live your life like it's a prose poem my brother hello my name is jack varnell i'm the emotional orphan i am with the social yet distance podcast and you know in this crazy covid world that we've created everybody is always looking for ways to support themselves and their families so that's what the social yet distance uh podcast and crew is really all about we're built on the idea of supporting small businesses the small press and all the creators we can get our hands on we're looking at ways that we can bring you more and better content 
that helps us to meet that goal. But meanwhile, redbubble.com and society6, the number six, society6.com forward slash emotional orphan at both. We'll get you to our art store and merchandise store where you can pick up all kind of goodies. Um, anything from art to full-size furniture. So come visit us. Help support the podcast.